And, you know, and this is just one more example of extraction and exploitation that um, I'd like to kiss goodbye. <laughs> Hashtag one of my new- least favorite Josh's. Uh, yeah, um, are you the new Joshua Harris? I would uh, never say that to me again, Lindsay. <laughs> oh my God. How dare you? Welcome to Holy Ghosting, a podcast from your middle aged mom friends about deconstruction. And I am Lindsay Lomas, senior warden at her Episcopal Church in Portland, Oregon. And I'm Meg, Little Miss. I don't know. I'm just going to figure it out. Used to be a good Christian girl, and now who knows? And I'm Sarai, and I'm Little Miss Eclectic Witch because I used to be a really good Christian and had to flee, but I wanted to keep my spiritual life intact. And today, we're so excited to have with us Fina from Mindful Minds Podcast. Um, Fina, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and and what you're doing with Mindful Minds? Yeah. So I'll start off with um, I'm Little Miss Learned How to Set Boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) That's my journey. Um, But yeah, my name's Fina. Um, I am the host of Mindful Minds Podcast. Um, It's a podcast where we go through different topics um, from an intentional lens. And recently, that has been a lot about deconstruction and religious trauma. And it's actually kind of shifted the way I've viewed the podcast, where now it's a little bit of okay, let's talk about all the things we didn't learn in church and let's unlearn the shit that we don't want anymore. And so we talk about things from religious trauma to sex to social justice, sustainability, grief, anxiety. It's all across the board. Um, I've had the podcast for, we just hit two years and I come from a very conservative religious background, Um, was raised religious from birth, I was in a religious school at age three and then was in that religious school um, until I was 15. Had a quick little two-year stint in a public school, which (gasps) rocked my world, and then (laughs) kind of got scared and went straight back to a Christian college. (laughs) So I went to um, a Christian college for three years, and I was just so engulfed in the church. I was the kid that um, my Christian school, my middle, middle high school and elementary school were all the same school, and it shared a parking lot with the church. (laughs) <laughs> so I lived there. I had yep. spaces in the church building where I would take naps. I was on the worship team. I was in the choir. I was in the I worked in the nursery. I did front desk receptionist work. It was like any corner of that church that I could get my hands on and volunteer, I was involved in. And then a little bit of a background on kind of what kickstarted my exit. Um, I have had mental health struggles my entire life, never really grasped how that fit into the Bible and like Jesus loving me mm-hmm. and always had like had struggled with it probably from age like 12, just kind of feeling like, okay, like what the fuck? <laughs> why, why am I dealing with this? And no one else is got a lot of the fruits of the spirit thrown down my throat of like, Ugh. you just need joy. You just need self-control. And I, I was so confused as to how everyone else seemed to grasp it. And I couldn't, and I felt like so isolated And then started to have some social justice stuff just happen in the world. Um, I was a a junior, senior in high school in 2016 when the election happened Mm. and um, watched. And this was then the two-year stint that I was in the public school. And so I was at a public community college for Running Start and was hearing my friends like voice that they were like terrified to walk to their cars because they were people of color. And I was like, 
hmm, this doesn't sit right with me. Like, I don't like the way this is making people feel. And I'd always been pretty passionate about women's rights, but in a conservative Christian way. So I was like, I'm a feminist and I love, I love women. I want them to be protected, but also like super pro-life. So it was a little bit like, oh, like not quite. Um, I love women, but that's a tricky role. Don't have sex, ladies. Yes. Uh, That would make me love you more. Yeah. It was, but I was always like a very fiery independent kid, which was a weird journey in the church because I was the good girl who like wanted everyone to like me. I was the straight A student. I was, I never dated. Um, my parents didn't kiss until they were at the altar. And so like, <gasps> that was my goal. Ooh. And yeah, they dated for six months. So like, it's not that big of a feat. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. They held I it together for like six kinda... months and then, and then kissed. And they also <laughs> had like definitely kissed other people prior to getting married. They got married in their thirties. So Thank goodness. they were like born again. Um, but that was Cute. my goal. Um, and like, kissed the first guy at like 12 and was horrified <laughs> and like thought I was going to hell. I and so I was like I was always like really wanted to be the good girl but was also like a little bit on the edge of things. I liked to push boundaries, but then at the same time like didn't never have never gone to a party. I've like like ever in my life. I've I didn't drink until I was 21. Like all these things like where I really did want to push boundaries but didn't really know how. And then flash forward to I go to my Christian college and quick trigger warning for sexual assault. Uh, the first, I think it was two months in, I get raped by another student. And it's a very small private Christian college. I was dating that student. It was kind of one of those things where you show up, one person shows interest in you, and you've been in such a bubble your whole life that you're like, holy shit, I can date. I'm just going to pick the first person that I see. Uh-huh. Um, and p- please, since you're in Christian college, first semester, everybody's already engaged. Like, exactly. Hi, welcome. Welcome yeah. to, yeah. in my case, Central Christian College of Kansas. Now meet your spouse immediately. And exactly. It's yeah. weird. It's a lot of pressure. It is. And I also grew up in an environment where I didn't date in high school. Um, I was sexually assaulted when I was 15 as well, but had no idea it was sexual assault because I wasn't educated on consent. And the way that I figured out it was sexual assault was through talking to my future rapist and he clued me in that I'd been assaulted. (laughs) Later found out he's like a serial assaulter who preys on girls who have been assaulted prior. And so it's this like fucking asshole. Yeah, this very like creepy crazy thing and so start school in august get raped in october it kind of shattered the way that i viewed like christianity i just was like i don't get it (laughs) like i don't get it i don't get how this can happen and i went through the worst depressive season of my life um lasted literally three years i didn't figure out until after i left the college that the reason why it lasted so long was because I was living on campus for three years and that campus Ugh. was a trigger to me. And so I never could get away mm-hmm. from it. Um, I did end up reporting the assault to the college, got raped in October, reported in March. Uh, they didn't conclude the investigation until September Whoa. and they let my assaulter live on campus. He was allowed like on my hall, like, and oh, I could like hear him God. laughing. I would like shut my ba- my bedroom door and lock it and just like sob. Oh my um, god, I'm so they sorry. Handled, Fina. Yeah, it's a big thing. But they handled the investigation really poorly. It was very inundated with purity culture. Mm-hmm. Um, at yeah. one point, they printed out one of my nudes and slapped it on the table and were like <gasps> using it to deny my assault. Oh um, my god. Yeah, it's it's <sighs> it's bad. They handled it very poorly. They ended up kicking him out, but they kind of kicked him out on a technicality. They weren't kicking him out because of the accusation of rape. They were kicking him out because he's an idiot. And in his interview, um, they asked him, 
yeah so like when you guys were fooling around like if she would say no how many times would she say no before she said yes and he was like oh like seven or eight and they were like you don't think that's problematic and he was like no she said yes and so they were actually able to kick him out on literally the technicality of like violating that form of consent but he got kicked out it ruined my reputation at the school no one knew what happened and he had spread a lot of lies and I basically hid in a hole for three years. Um, I was having seizures weekly because of my anxiety, um, had multiple suicide attempts throughout college, uh, also got into a second abusive relationship during college that uh, had a partner who would tell me I wasn't skinny enough and all of this bullshit. This is all happening in a very condensed period of time. Yeah. And so during this time, July 2018, which was three months before the investigation concluded, my church that I'd grown up in for 15 years, our head pastor got kicked out for 30 accounts of sexual misconduct. What? Uh, and I was like, all right, guys, uh, nope. Yeah, <laughs> I can't fucking do it. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So, it's everywhere. It's yeah, literally in exactly. every place that you, was a safe space for you. And it yep. just... And I got a call when I was out of state too. Like we were at a family event and my friend was like, he got fired. Like they're having a meeting tomorrow. And I was like, holy shit. And so my whole family was very rocked by this. And we had had some suspicions about him for a while. He had been promoting pastors who had sexual assault claims. And we were like, ooh, like that's not a good look. And my family was going through the sexual assault investigation with me. And so Mm -hmm. they started off, of course, not wanting women to be raped. But by the end of it, it was like, no, we've seen how this has affected our kid. We've watched this in real time. Like, we're way more passionate and educated about this than when we entered. Mm -hmm. And so um, I left the church immediately, told my parents, uh, you will never see me set foot in that building again. I won't go for holidays, Easter, nothing. Never stepped foot in the church again. That was it. Uh, Blocked everybody. Um, started writing some blog posts about the church. They kind of popped off, got a call from the head pastor and he was like, Hey, like, (laughs) and so, um, during all that time, I kind of shifted to the, like, I'm going to be a progressive Christian. Like I can (laughs) do this. I can do the like liberal Christian thing. Started getting really passionate about sex education. And it totally changed my stance on abortion strictly because of my assault. Mm-hmm. I thought if I got pregnant, I would either terminate the pregnancy or I'd kill myself. It's one or the other. So it totally shifted my stance on abortion. I'm now incredibly pro-abortion, have a t-shirt that's like abortion, abortion, abortion. Um, <laughs> and so totally shifted everything. And then by the time I was a senior in college, I had tried the progressive thing. I'd gone to a smaller church, tried to restart it, got abused there. And I was like, guys, this is fucking dumb. <laughs> like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> tried to go to a little tiny liberal church that was like super queer affirming, didn't believe in creation. And I was like, yes, like this is my home. And it was a great church. I just was like, I... I'm tired. I can't keep doing this. And so I waited until I graduated college because if I announced that I was leaving Christianity while being in this Christian college, I'd get kicked out. So I waited until the month after I graduated college and made a public statement on my Instagram saying, I'm leaving. I'm someone that used to pray for you. I'm not going to be that person anymore. Don't come to me for it. Um, If you comment, you're wrong or I'm praying for you. You're getting blocked. I don't care if I've known you since I was five you're out. Stayed pretty firm with that and then went through a pretty serious like 2020 to 2022. Like I'm angry at everyone and like I'm really aggressive and a little too confrontational and then have kind of winded it down for the past year and a half and just tried to like learn and grow and heal. And the podcast kind of got birthed out of all of that. And that's a very long winded 
of my background, but my background's a little complicated. So it's a, it's a little, it's a little bit, you kind of got to know a lot of it to understand the, the holistic situation, but yeah. One of the things that's really interesting about your story is of course, I think Meg and Lindsay and I all have many similar experiences and parallels Mm -hmm. um, to what you experienced. And I can't get over how fucked up it is that you had that experience like recently. Yeah. When we all had those experiences 20 years ago and have been talking about it and shining a light on it, and yet it's still so pervasive in the evangelical church in particular and beyond. Religion is a really good place for uh, hiding the truth and Mm -hmm. acting like we have real great big ethics and like literally just being disgusting (laughs) underneath. Yeah, of course. And the thing that's crazy too is like I didn't grow up in like a super conservative state or anything either. Like we're talking like I grew up in Seattle. (laughs) This is like very liberal, very like out there kind of city. And you still have shit like someone printing out a nude and putting it on the table to deny someone sexual assault. Like it's It's really deep. I'm kind of curious. You mentioned that you did a lot of work, volunteer work with your church, as I'm sure all of us have on this episode Mm -hmm. here. Um, Oh, you know it. We all got our little like jewels in heaven coming. (laughs) What do we, we always bring it back to, we joke that like, we all, like the stacking of the chairs and the unstacking, like it was like everyone was expected, you know, a lot of chair movement. Oh yeah, oh yeah. like touted as very important. Like needed to move these chairs. You know what, humble yourself and do these manual labor tasks for the Lord. I'm really interested in the nature of the volunteering that you did because when I was at church, the volunteering I did was like worship team and leading youth group and whatever, a bunch of other shit. Um, and I don't know, it wasn't necessarily about creating anything good in the community or helping people who needed help that weren't affiliated with the church. That in itself does fly in the face of the idea of charity to me. I'll, I'll have to do my nerd nonprofit shit right now. Sorry, everybody. It's just, I I can't help it. (laughs) Nonprofits are literally the same as a C corporation, meaning that they're governed by a board of directors. The only real difference is that a nonprofit is tax exempt because instead of accruing dividends and benefits to shareholders like a C corporation does, instead, those benefits need to be reinvested back into the mission of the organization to continue to perpetuate the public good. Every single one of us is a shareholder in every nonprofit that exists. It because they're not paying taxes. They're supported by our charitable dollars, by grants, by whatever, by in churches famously also, by everyone giving them money. Uh, so yeah, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what kinds of things you did and like how charitable did you feel like they really were in the end for anyone? Yeah. So for context, the church that I uh, started going to when I was five and went, uh, attended until I was 18, 19, basically until the scandal broke. Um, was what I call a mini mega church. So um, if you look at like what classifies a mega church as a mega church, we did classify, but we weren't we weren't Hillsong. So like, but we were big. We grew to four campuses at one point while I was attending. It was pretty modern and it wasn't necessarily modern in the beliefs, but it was we had youth services where, you know, we're playing the trendiest music. Our pastor is absolutely tatted. 
Um, we were the skinny jeans and Chelsea boots and the oversized long tees and the wide brim hats and that everyone's drinking the exact same drink. We had like a case of Red Bull under the first pew. Um, they had <laughs> fog and lights and Ooh, I love strobe a good fog lights. Machine. Yeah, it was like and and the funniest thing is my my partner grew up Mormon if you grow up Christian, you don't know what other religions really do or what they are or what they believe. And so, and I'd always was taught that like Mormons were basically just Christians that got it wrong. And so I had no idea like the traditions and the different, the differences in the structure. And when I first told my partner, like I showed him a video of one of our conferences because we did the big conferences like Passion or like Hillsong conferences. And I, I showed him and he was like, oh my god what is that and i was like oh yeah this was like our youth conference and he like immediately pulled up like a photo of like the mormon temple and like showed me some of the hymns that they sung and i was like oh we did not grow up in the same environment. Yeah. <laughs> like we are not the we are not the same no this is not this is very thing. different um and so this was a it was a mini mega church i started volunteering when i was seven and so it just started with me in the nursery. And then I would, uh, there really weren't any other options for me to volunteer besides just like nursery and random, like serve the homeless nights because everything else, most of the volunteers were in youth programs and I was still a youth. So it didn't really work, but I started going to our middle school group and our middle school pastor was like, Hey, he kind of started to like wrote me into doing some more like responsibilities, having random things. And then we were picking new pastors and I thought this was just like, boy, oh boy, I felt so special. He came to me and was like, hey, like we're going to be trying out a new pastor because I knew he was leaving and he was like, I'm not going to be here. Can you listen to the sermon and let me know what you think about it? Like, let me know if you like him. And I was what, 13 maybe. Um, and I was like, yes, <laughs> of course I can. Like, this is my mission. Yes. And so I was like, felt so special and so important. And Pretty soon after that, started getting put in kind of minor leadership roles. I started doing worship team when I was in um, seventh grade at the church. At the school, I was on our worship team in fifth grade. And so I started the worship team when I was like in seventh grade, slowly started kind of getting more and more and more involved, especially when I got to the high school program. Because once I got to the high school program, we were about two years into this new modern tatted pastor. And he like really changed the game of how our youth group ran. It was still kind of for kids, to be totally honest, before him. And he created what he thought was, I think, an experience that college students would want, I guess. Mm. And so you had high schoolers and like the second church camp that he put on, they marketed it as like a rave. And like <laughs> there were like strobe lights and like <laughs> color dust and the first night we had a house party and they squeezed everybody into a tiny house on the campus of the church camp and had were blasting like rap music and um it was clean but like you know pretty much it was like how can we make this as adjacent to like a party experience as possible including like red solo cups with like pepsi like it was like really how can we like get this as college as possible this sounds like an snl skit like oh i know it's so like how is this real it is i mean i know it's real my youth group was certainly not this um 
advanced i don't know like i didn't have their shit together in this way blowing up didn't have that amount of planning two liters of coke with mentos in the parking lot that's what we did yeah no (laughs) it was it was intense and i i was just talking to my mom about this because we were talking about how my little sister's new youth group they had like a pajama night and i was like oh you wouldn't have caught us dead at a pajama night like it was everyone's wearing their coolest outfits mm. and is getting the exact same latte because we also had a cafe on campus so it was like kind of like a you know we yes. got our little coffee shop everyone's being super trendy it was very like trying to be adults and I think that's a really dangerous ground to walk with kiddos too like everyone wanted to be an adult and I was already like the mature kid who felt like an adult and was treated like an adult mm-hmm. and so very quickly into this new leadership with our youth group I was 15 and started working under one of our interns because my older sister had done this volunteer work of what was called experience. Mm -hmm. And it was separate from the production team of doing the lights, uh, camera slides. Although I did also volunteer in slides um, and doing screens for years. And so I started volunteering under this uh, intern and our interns were not paid. It was a like college program where they would do college classes and they would pay for like college credits through a really expensive Christian college, which ended up being the Christian college that I went to. Then they would just do free labor for like stupid amounts of time. I'm talking like some of them were working on conference nights until like three in the morning and they weren't getting paid. And so I started working under the intern who was in charge of experience and experience was this like position that should have been a staff role. And it was um, managing our youth nights, which we had like these big nights, like once a month. And then we had a conference, like I think once a quarter or twice a year. And uh, the big youth nights were huge. Like I'm talking like how many people? Yeah. We had probably, I think the the most we hit was close to like 2,500 like students in the local area. And they would invite like guests. Like we had Judah Smith, we had Chris Durso, we had Rich Wilkerson Jr. We had like, which were all like popular as fuck at the time like that was like a big deal and so we had all these people like one year um uh they invited like the local rap station and i'm talking like the rap station for seattle that was like a little bit grimy like it was not like a safe for kids (laughs) rap station and they invited them and had them like dj and they invite they like catered with chick-fil-a it was just like everything wow. you could so do to make cool. it like yeah Probably. to make it cool <laughs> and so hobby lobby bringing a bunch yeah. of cute things like do exactly. crafts <laughs> exactly and so i started on this experience team and the experience team was like you're the one who's setting up green rooms for our guest speakers you're the one managing okay and go i literally had a headset talking to people that had in-ears and saying, one, two, three, go, bringing on props, like changing slides, handing off mics. I had all the mics underneath my seat and we're making sure they were going to the right numbers. Um, We had Planning Center at the time, which is still what a lot of churches use, which is like an app. It's an an app that does planning of services. It correlates all the numbers of mics, the song order, all that stuff. I would go to meetings. And then what happened is this intern graduated and they tried to bring on an adult to volunteer in the position we had two separate adults that were not interns that tried to do the volunteer position both were like this is way too much work and (laughs) failed and so at age 15 i took it over by myself and was doing this like insane workload completely 
not paid. I had a key to the staff offices. I had an office that I would use. I was basically staff and I was 15. And in school, right? And in school. And And in school. Like doing regular kid things. Yeah. And I maintained a 4.0 through all of this as well. So I was like working my fucking ass off trying to get everything to stay in the same lane. And then simultaneously, I'm increasing with worship, Um, still working in the nursery, joined the adult choir um, and started working for them. Um, Then I transitioned out of the experience role. So I crank up my volunteer hours and end up doing the nursery, the choir. I'm running the front desk, not being paid. And I'm talking the front desk for the whole church, (laughs) not getting paid. I'm also running the worship team and doing slides and doing production. And I calculated it and I was doing like close to 27 hours of work of work like a week unpaid and from there did worship um was on our worship team for like the next two years did they love you like I, bet I know they just well, loved here's the fucking you. crazy did thing. you get awards for like no. best volunteer no. <laughs> and this, is, this is the thing yeah. that's such bullshit I didn't really know our pastors they didn't make any effort to know us despite the fact that I was like here's your coffee here's your snack like here's your mic and go oh, wow. and like they did not give a shit about me and I didn't get a thank you. I didn't get a thank you card until I literally graduated. And I had been doing this for five years, basically. And I, they, none of them knew me. Like, none of them knew my background. I don't even think most of them, like, knew where I went to school. It was just, like, I was just there and I was Yeah, did anyone, and... like, have you over for dinner? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely oh, not. I, just... I had no relationship with any of them whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The people I had relationship with were the fucking production team because I was mm-hmm. the background person being like, and go. Okay, change that slide. Oh, we need lights on so-and-so. And those were a group of men in their 20s, which is also, thank God that didn't turn bad. They're all really good guys, so they weren't creepy. But um, And I didn't get any really thank you recognition, nothing until I graduated. I got like a thank you card and I was like... <laughs> Cool. Cool. Wow. Did the thank you card have a gift? Did you get a gift card? I think I got a gift card to their cafe, which I was like, (laughs) oh, God, the lounge, baby. No. (laughs) It wasn't even enough for a whole latte. No. (laughs) It it was, it was, I mean, it was like really intense. And I would say out of all of that, maybe if we're lucky, 10% was actually like, charitable work like hmm. 10% of it was literally maybe those those nights where we would go out and give pb and j's to homeless people like that mm-hmm. was probably it and then of course i had like a world vision thing where i would like sponsor a child with my allowance mm-hmm. because i felt like i had to um and i just canceled that like 2 years ago and i felt so bad i was like oh, oh. my god this kid is not going to have any money and my my sister was like he'll, he'll be fine <laughs> like they'll find somebody else you're good you don't have to keep sponsoring people it's fine like they're not an ethical organization. You can you can tap out. And I was like, okay. So the guilt, man. Like, I felt the so guilt. bad. <laughs> but I yeah, this- it was very, very limited charitable actual volunteer work. It was just serving the church and giving them free labor for no fucking reason. So, so I have a fun follow-up to that is like uh, my husband and I, when we were dating, uh, so this was probably like 19, 20 years old. Um, our youth pastors left the church and we had been obviously volunteering um, just as youth leaders at the time. And we would do like a Bible study. We had this one called Doers of the Word and we would go out and serve people in the community. And that was like what we kind of wanted to change the youth group to be. So when the youth pastors left, um, the administration asked us to come and like stay on and all volunteer um, and to take over that interim youth pastor role. We were like, hey, 
are you going to hire somebody for this eventually? Because like, we're not getting paid. Um, and they said, okay, fine. We, we're finally going to put out the job description and the salary and all of that. And so we applied and we were granted a courtesy meeting by the pastor, not a job interview. And we were told that our volunteer work was great, but that we were not qualified to run the youth group, even though we had been running the youth group for the last six months. So (laughs) what? That kind of bullshittery of like, we'll accept your labor, but we will not like pay you for it is kind of just that that to me is the gist of church volunteerism. Dude, everything, Fina, when you were talking, I was just like, oh yeah, I had that, I've had that, I've (laughs) had that. It was just like, so many times when I was thinking back, like preparing for this episode, I was thinking about, I went to this church when I was living in, I lived in Southern California for a really long time. I went to a Christian college down there. All I wanted to do was work in the music industry. I got hired at a indie record label that had some like, it wasn't a Christian label, but it was like certainly adjacent to like a tooth and nail. It had a lot of christian-ish bands are in that right and and so i ended up going to a church in long beach california that um the worship leader was actually in a band on my label which again wasn't a christian band but and i loved her i like she ruled but she kind of like pulled me in to help and was like people with me i was always like oh you natural leader you you can be in charge of things that's just like it's why i'm so that's why i'm senior warden of my very liberal (laughs) episcopal church now which means i'm just head of the the board for my church um (laughs) And so I remember because uh, I have a lot of event planning experience. So they and it wasn't a mega church, but it was it was big. There was probably, I don't know, 700 people on a Sunday, maybe like nothing crazy. But I couldn't do like I remember visiting a couple churches in L.A. that were like the super production-y felt like a rock and roll show. I couldn't go. I never could go like that far. I needed something that felt a little bit more intimate. But I remember at this church being kind of terrified of the pastor. He was a really good speaker. But he was intense. And so she pulled me in to help me. Like, I don't remember what my title was, but I was sort of like worship direct. Like I was telling people, okay, you go on stage now. Same Mm -hmm. thing. I had the like, I had a headset. I was, I remember like baptism days were a big day, like how, where people had to go. (laughs) And I had like run the production meeting before. And I remember again, yeah, I'm like 20 years old or whatever, maybe like 22 at this point. And I don't think the pastor knew my name ever. I certainly didn't ever like hang out with him. I, I, was always terrified of him. And I just remember being like, sitting there being like, I know how to do this, but, and I could do it. Like I would go put on South by Southwest showcases, you know, I'd be an off and, but for some reason doing it at church was like, was more terrifying. And I don't know why maybe. And of course, yeah. It was tied to your salvation. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It was just like, it never felt right. I guess you didn't get a lot of thank yous. It didn't ever make, cause I think I wanted that community. I never, any evangelical church I went to in my adult life, because I'm a pastor's kid, so like my church was growing up, felt like community because it was. It was like all we did. It was like my whole life. But as I got older and went to evangelical churches of my own volition, I mean, what you were saying, like I just felt like nobody. I was like, I could. I went to Imago Day here in Portland for eight years, and I don't think a single person. And I by this point, I was like gotten smarter, and I was like, I am gonna sit in the back row, and I did not do a whole <laughs> lot of volunteering but i will say so i did an internship for a free methodist church sarai you oh, that's sarai. shout out uh, in outside oh, of portland a, yeah that's how you know yeah. my friend our mutual friend so i lived with 
the youth pastors of this church. They convinced me to do. I needed an internship for college anyways. So I got a college credit, but I went and they let me live with them for free. And then I volunteered at this church. I was an intern for them with their youth program for six months. So I helped with the youth group and they were trying to start a college group thing. So I started a coffee shop, like a cafe for them. I remember I brought in these cool booze and we, I decorated it. I did a bunch of work with you. I did all this stuff for six months and we would bring in live music. We had concerts. I did all of this unpaid. And I worked at a Christian bookstore in Washington Square Mall to support myself during this time. So I was working. Uh, I dropped out of college for six months just to do this internship because I couldn't do both because I was putting in too many hours. And they did a love offering for me at the end of this internship where I busted my ass for them and I got $100. (gasps) And for six months of work. And I found out later that the youth pastors who let me live with them for free, who are still friends of mine to this day, the people who let me live with them had put a 50 in. So they had given me free lodging. And so so literally no one in that church gave a shit about what I did. And I was just like, yeah, it was real bad. (laughs) I was so hurt. I was just like deeply wounded. I was like, clearly you don't value anything that I did so yeah yeah that was a that was a fun time for me why I didn't just like walk away then is beyond I know I I think the exact same thing like my husband and I well we weren't married at the time but we didn't walk away from that church we continued to go there and to serve and to volunteer until they hired their fucking youth pastor and we just were like okay that Mm -hmm. makes sense I guess I guess yeah. this is just God wants us to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I think I know that one of the things that I figured out once I because I, I moved for college. Right. So like I wasn't going to my same home church, but I still was in my head like, oh, no, this is still my church until the scandal. And then I was like, OK, never mind. But I tried to get involved at my college and was really trying to like, OK, I, I started doing experience at my college and was like, OK, I'll be your production girl. And they wouldn't quite like hand over the responsibilities to me and they like didn't want me to actually take it over. And I remember feeling I, the first like few months of college, I was like, this isn't working. Like I don't feel like how I felt at my home church. I don't feel this isn't like, I don't feel like I belong here. This isn't giving me the same like fulfillment And it hit me like probably six months into going to my college that the reason why I loved my home church so much had nothing to do with the home church and had everything to do with the fact that I was in a position of power Mm -hmm. and felt special Mm -hmm. and had a key card to the offices and felt like I was like kind of big shit and like felt really cool and had a purpose. And I'd show up early every single Wednesday to get everything ready. I I was never attending services just to attend services because it I was always there to do a task Mm -hmm. and I found that really interesting and really fun. And on the weeks I'd have, like, I remember I had a little period of interim time where I wasn't doing anything at the youth services. I was doing volunteer work in other areas, but it was in between production and worship where I wasn't, I just left production. I was taking a little break and then I was going to try to see if I could join the worship team. And I was so bored. I was like, oh my (laughs) fucking God, I can't do this. Like, this is so boring. I hate being in these services. Like, this is so, like, I, I, I couldn't be less interested. And I didn't realize until college where I went to my college, didn't have didn't have a role. And I was like, okay, well, this is boring. I'm not into this. And then I went to a very small church, fought my 
like fought so, so, so hard to get a volunteer role was like, I could be on your prayer team. Like, do you need a worship leader? I can help with production. I know how to do slides. Give me the pro presenter. I can do all of it. Like I literally have experience in every single field. And it was a really, really, really small church. They had just launched. I was trying so hard to get involved and they wouldn't let me. And it was very bizarre. Like I was like, you guys, like you're, I'm, I'm offering free labor. Like, let me, let me do this. And I was just talking to someone recently where we both have left that church and both had pretty shitty experiences. And we were talking about the fact that like, I think I just gave off a little bit too much authority where I was a little bit Mm. too sure of myself, a little bit too fiery, a little bit too bold. And they tended to pick like the shyest, most like meek people to be in Mm. volunteer roles because I think that they were such a small church that they didn't really have the (laughs) the manpower i guess to like keep the bigger personalities under control (laughs) and i was also already starting to talk about like well i really want to talk about social justice and they would not let me volunteer to save my life and that was one of the reasons i left was i was like i hate being here because i like (laughs) to be here because i like having a role i like having a task like i have terrible social anxiety i hate being in a church and just expecting to socialize like give me a fucking checklist and put me to work you know what i don't actually think i like church i think i like feeling important (laughs) i think that (laughs) all of these like leadership roles in the church made me feel important and i think that if if you took every single person that's in a leadership role in their church right now and you said go sit in the pew you don't have your leadership role anymore. Just sit there and listen. I, I would guarantee that like the majority of those people would be bored as fuck and would be like, no, 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 please give me my leadership back. Give me my control back. Because I think a huge part of getting the bigger personalities, the leaders of the group in a position where they have power and authority mm-hmm. is you pat their ego enough that they feel like they're special and they feel like they have a spot and it kind of keeps them in this like, I've pacified enough, I guess, because I have enough control. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to try to like out outpower you as the leader of the church, but I'm kind of in my little niche. I've got my little like community that I'm kind of in, in in charge of. And I'm a bossy person. I loved being able to boss people around. I was like, this is fantastic. And if you put all those people in the pews and just say, oh, just be here for Jesus. I was like, um, no, that shit's boring. <laughs> That's Same. not why I'm here. I'm here to boss people around and have a checklist and feel special. So once I lost that, I was like, I did a little bit of introspective work and was like, huh, <laughs> Maybe I should just go into event planning. Yeah. <laughs> religion isn't for me. Maybe I'm not here for God. Well, and I think and a lot of people feel that way. It's so interesting because I, I feel that 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 love of power and control is so couched in the language of like, but we're doing good and we mm-hmm. are helping people and we are saving souls. And, you know, I've I've been in a number of different like toxic capitalist environments. This isn't necessarily only the church that does this right like we live in a society that exploits people to Mm -hmm. for profits like Mm -hmm. period uh you know i worked i went and worked for this indie record label in southern california that wanted to pay people in cool points and they did pay me a salary i went into debt working for them because living in los angeles on an indie record label's salary is not possible turns out but so the church doesn't try to pay you in cool points but they do they suck you in by like the, this kingdom purpose talk and like mm-hmm. what you know. I hear this from you know I've I've watched document in Hillsong and I mean, they really really you oh, know, get yeah. people in and the the guilt of like this is for God. What you're doing has a higher 
purpose. And I mean, I don't know if we want to get into tithing. Like there's so much guilt around money. Like whether it's you give your money, you give your time, or you give both. You're supposed to give all of it, right? Yes. Right. And there's no limit to what you can give. No one in the church is ever going to tell you that's too much. You're giving mm-hmm. too much time. You're giving too much money. You're giving too much energy and you're going to get burned out. Like I mean, people do burn out. are trying to extract wealth from people to make it their own wealth. And what's really cute is if you look at where the idea of tithing comes from in the Old Testament, it is bring your tithe to the storehouse where they can pile up, stockpile food for a famine and everyone will have food. And the tithing was a mutual benefit to everyone who brought something that would be drawn upon to support the well-being of the people in the mm-hmm. end. It's actually, um, I'm so sorry to say it, socialism. <gasps> <gasps> That's a bad word, Sarai. But the church doesn't <laughs> like socialism. Yeah, yes. Stupid I mean, socialist. Can we talk about the church in Acts? They were also socialists. They were also so. super socialist. Yeah. I, yeah, we, I think all growing up, we were taught to be socialists. All growing up, we were taught to give and not hoard resources and provide our neighbors and in, in our community with help and support, not a single peanut butter and jelly sandwich twice a month. <laughs> Oh, sorry, every two months. Um, yeah, well, God, yeah, not we, twice a month. That's too much work. Yeah, we couldn't hoard our resources, but the church sure as shit could hoard well, its resources. Yeah, that's the thing that's crazy, too, is like if if you actually do offering in a way where it is putting money together to then literally just share amongst the community, that's a great – like, sure, that's fantastic. The thing that's uh, – I don't know if you guys saw, they're, they're, Hillsong is under a lot of fire right now, and I love talking shit about them, but – they yeah, um <laughs> they recently have been accused they've got like a whole tax fraud thing going on and uh, there's a yes. whole situation where they were opening different llcs to like evade taxes there's this huge thing it's like very deep um, oh, i love this and give us the, the other, tea, all of yeah, it yeah well and i'm i'll butcher it if i'll try to give all of it but basically i i was doing some research last night for this instagram post i made yesterday that was like about teenage labor and in churches And it turns out that one of the claims that's being made against Hillsong is that the majority of their donations go towards salary and Mm -hmm. not towards charitable, you know, actions. And so you think about you're giving the classic is like the 10% of your income, which pre-tax, I just, my pastor Mm -hmm. really made sure that Mm -hmm. we were supposed to give to the Lord before we gave to the government, which is insane bullshit i i had like allowance i would earn money for getting good grades i would earn money for like tours and like babysitting gigs and as like a 14 year old i was out here giving like a hundred bucks to the church when i had like and i would give all of it sometimes like i would like i would feel called and i now have learned that the holy spirit is not in my opinion i don't think it's a thing but i've i've learned that the voices that i thought were the holy spirit are were very much so religious OCD and that was my what was actually in my head um and so I was having I would have like intrusive thoughts and impulsive thoughts of like you have to do this or like you're bad and so I would like tell my mom mom I feel called to give like my whole little bit of money that I just made to the church and then I give it all away and it also taught me really bad financial habits because I'm a very like giving person I always have been I'm a gift giver. I don't necessarily receive love by getting gifts, but I give love by giving gifts. 
And it taught me really bad financial habits of like, well, if I just give everything away, it'll come back because like mm-hmm. God's got me. And I'm and you're rewarded now, and praised for that. Too. Yeah. Like well, I, I imagine people in your church seeing this this child give a hundred dollars or whatever to church, they're probably just like, oh my gosh, isn't that the like depending on how discreet it was or whatnot. But I I yeah. just know in my own life that like Oh yeah, you get whatever cheered you on. gave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just yeah. like and so again, that's like this thing where you're like, ooh, this feels good. I'm oh, yeah. keep doing yeah. this. Like, and I I now like am I have so I have such bad financial habits and I'm so in debt because I've had so many situations where I give to other people with money that I should just be using to like pay my own expenses because I don't have a super good grasp of like when to be generous and when to take care of myself because I yeah. got so taught to like put others before myself mm-hmm. to the detri- to the detriment of myself. Yes. And then you look at um you know the whole 10% thing. I heard someone I was listening to a podcast about cults. <laughs> and um, she was talking about the Nexium cult. And she was going really, she's a survivor of the Nexium cult, was like talking about her experience and started just talking about red flags of cults. And a few of her red flags were like, um, is there smoke when you leave? Because if there's smoke, there's fire. And talking about if people are making a huge fuss when you leave and are either like attacking you or disparaging your name like you're you're probably in a cult and she started talking about like i know it's kind of controversial to like call religions cults but like check all the boxes and so she mentioned she was like yeah and for the record like anyone who asks for 10 percent of your income that's (laughs) a cult and i was like oh fuck like i had i didn't i've never thought about it that way but yeah i think that like the 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 offering donation aspect even this gets super fucked up but um i've heard from a lot of people talking about two things one is that they have felt like if they had a gift gift like singing creative whatever it had to be done to better someone else's life it couldn't just Mm. be done to make them feel good and to give them joy and fulfillment and that it's been a huge journey for them to step into just doing things to make themselves happy and make themselves feel fulfilled. And Mm -hmm. when I was looking at career paths, I was looking at all of these really intense career paths that would be very draining. And I actually had a grandparent who was not religious tell me, hey, you don't have to be a social worker or a trauma therapist or a this or that, all these things that would just trigger your trauma. You can just Mm -hmm. go and be a barista and have fun. Like you're allowed to do that. And I was like, oh, what the fuck? And then the other side of that coin is um, the, you know, you want to use your gifts for yourself, I guess, and also just to fulfill yourself and not feel pressured. The other thing is that if you ever have anything bad happen to you, you feel like it has to be a testimony. And yeah. the way that this ties in, I don't know how you guys did your offering talks, but we had people come up and share their really gruesome testimonies and that it would guilt us into giving money. And so after I was assaulted, I was in a small church and I, what, four months after my rape was like, oh. yeah, I'm going to get on stage and like share oh. my rape story as an offering call and got on stage and was like, <sighs> yeah, like this is how Jesus has saved me like, and healed me from my rape. And also like you're four months post an, a trauma like that. You have no, I don't know, hindsight or awareness yeah. of like how much it actually fucked you up. Oh, and especially you're, when you're still a Christian because yeah. you're not supposed to ever feel fucked up by anything. Yeah. And even if you're like 
doing good and you're maybe having it's you're feeling okay you have no idea like when it's gonna flare back up again and it was one of the things in my healing journey that I was like okay what the fuck I thought I was over this and it oh it, it would come up well, and then it would you know because Jesus and, healed you that's yeah. what I mean my yeah. entire childhood is I mean I was raised by people who went through horrible traumas and Jesus healed them and they right. went to counseling or took medication right, right. Or, same thing with the yeah. forgiveness you don't actually work on things it's like oh we've just forgiven you it's why we see abusive pastors come back to power so many times absolution versus accountability again yep, yep. and so I I got on stage to share this testimony and funny enough um, I did it twice. So both were offering calls, which is just like, what so does that mean? Up. Like for people that don't know. So you would get up and you would kind of share a testimony of a hardship and then yeah. how God like helped you or saved you. And then they would say, give us what? money. So Let's yeah, pay so, God for that. Good work. Yeah. So like, pay God. Yeah. How do they connect this trauma experience with give to the church give us money? your money? Yeah. So I think it depends on the church, but I know that like, and also kind of depends on the story. It's a very awkward a transition to be like Fina was raped pay us like that's a weird transition <laughs> no, uh, and so I'm like, I feel bad laughing but yeah, it's, no, I know no, it's a weird it's, it's a weird transition so I think it really depends on the testimony and the situation like we would have missionaries come up and share their mission work and then the tie-in obviously would Obvious, be like so easy let's right? give money to the missions like that's a very easy crossover there's no awkward fumbling with that it's clean cut then you have a rape story and it's a little bit less clean cut because it's like, how do you connect giving to the church? And I don't know how you guys would do offering calls, but the way that they would do it with us, and this was actually with both the churches that I attended, was um, very much so a like, you prepare the the offer and you're the one who ties it back into money. That wasn't what? really like the person interviewing you or up there with you. It was, you were kind of supposed to tie it in yourself. Um, and so I did it twice. One was a little bit more awkward because I didn't really have a good tie and it was just kind of like, yeah, and like now I'm doing it for the Lord and like kind of like your money will help more people heal kind of a thing. And then the second time I did the offering call was almost a year later and my viewpoints on healing had really shifted. Um, a huge part of my healing journey, I've talked about this so much on my podcast, is I joined a support group for sexual assault survivors when I was a sophomore in college. And it single-handedly like transformed my life. It was not religious. It was solely like coping mechanisms and breath work and sitting in a room in a circle in, in chairs. <laughs> like in a, And we was in a church, but it wasn't religious at all. And um, with other survivors and just like talking about what you're going through and doing worksheets. And so at this new smaller church that I attended, they had life groups, right? Or like their little tiny groups that they would do. And they were all um, congregate, like led, like we would lead them. And so I went to them and said, hey, like I want to start a, a life group, but I want it to kind of function like a support group. And I want it to be for women who have gone through trauma. And I'd love specifically for it to be college age women. And they were like, um, like, how can we tie Jesus in? And I was like, okay, um, I can do prayer requests and I can pray at the end and we can kind of like filter Bible verses in through the curriculum. And they were like, perfect, amazing. And I kind of had to push a little bit to get that going. They were not super interested in the idea of like psychological help <laughs> in a church. Mm -hmm. And 
So I I didn't create the curriculum. It wasn't like me teaching. It was me pulling from therapist worksheets, therapist aids, therapist books, and just basically like compiling it and, and teaching that to a group of college age women. Very soon, I nixed all of the Bible verses. I still did prayer requests because I still was like believing in prayer, but I was like, the Bible has nothing to do with this. So we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> and, and I would tell the girls, I was like, yeah, we're not, this has nothing to do with the Bible. So we're not talking about the Bible. Hope that, hope, hope you're okay with that. And we would do it at a third party location so that it wasn't at the church. It wasn't at my school. It was like private. We would rent out this little coffee shop, uh, side room, like back room. So they had privacy. And so I decided to do an offering call about the support group. And of course, on stage, I'm calling it a life group. And I kind of lied and was like, yeah, I'm like, we talking about Jesus. And we didn't at all. <laughs> um, and so I'm up there talking about it. And I I don't think it was what they wanted me to say, but I basically was like, yeah. So um, I found that healing from my sexual assault had nothing to do with prayer and nothing to do with scriptures and nothing to do with the Bible. And it had everything to do with worksheets and therapy and coping skills and medication. And like, that's how I healed. And I'm like watching the girl who's interviewing me just kind of like, <laughs> like <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah. And like, we have our life group where like, that's what we do. Like we just sit around and we do worksheets and we talk about trauma and mental health. And like, we figure out how to add tools to our toolbox together. Like that's the whole point of the group. And then I was like, I literally could just see eyes like burning into my skull. And I was like, um, and we talk about Jesus and like, we love him. And, um, uh, yeah. And if I had to get raped again to make all of these beautiful things happen, I would do it because I can tell that God had a purpose for it. <gasps> and then, and then I was like, and by, by giving money to this church, like you're helping support these life groups and you're helping heal people like, like me. And then I got off and I remember thinking like, damn it. Like I got really close to actually saying what I wanted to say and felt so I just, I could feel like I could feel the the eyes burning into me. And I'm someone where I am very independent. I'm fiery. I will yell back at you. We, I came from a fighting family. Like we, I am not like a quiet person, but there is something that happens to me when I can tell that authority is disappointed in me mm -hmm. and the shame, like just burns right through me and i i get so meek and and quiet and uh i go from being like a fighter in fight or flight to like freezing immediately which i don't do in any other aspect of my life unless it's an authority figure that i can tell is like shaming or disappointed in me and so i totally shifted the narrative of what i was going to say and the offering call basically ended with like giving money to this church helps rape victims like me, which is like such an awkward way to end an offering call. They well, didn't invite me back it, after it that. Wasn't I wasn't really allowed true, to do right? another one. No, no, it wasn't true at all. Their money, I didn't get fucking paid. I was doing a life group totally separately. My support group that actually saved my life, I paid for out of my own money, had nothing to do with the church. It was a completely separate thing that I found through psychologytoday.com. Like it was mm -hmm. nothing religious mm -hmm. whatsoever, but it was kind of that like, I mean, if you think about it, if the church had been paying me to teach this this life group to other women, then sure, you could say that the funds were actually helping support rape victims. I wasn't getting paid. I mm -hmm. took so much time out of my own day. And that's one of the volunteer things that I am like actually incredibly proud of because I, I went very much so against what the church wanted me to do. I think it was actually really productive. I've had so many people that started off with me in the support group. And the support group was called Mindful Minds. That was how Mindful Minds started. 
was, it was a support group and the pandemic happened and I was like, okay, well, I don't know how to do this virtually. And so started a podcast and that was how it all started was just like this little group of, of women in a coffee shop trying to like fumble around our trauma, all being Christians, all not really having tools or support or a community that would actually help us besides giving us prayer. And we were just kind of trying to figure it out on our own. And like, looking back on that, should we have maybe had a therapist involved to like actually (laughs) give us guidance? Probably. But we were doing the best with like the tools that we had. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because to get that off the ground, I truly had to fight that church tooth and nail to get that off the ground. They did not want that to be a life group. They wanted the life group to be, which is hilarious because there was a life group that was playing Mario Kart. Oh, yeah, they were. And then they prayed. Yeah. And oh, okay. that got approved like that. And my Dear partner the at the time was the one who led it. And he got his life group approved so quickly. And then I was like, okay, can I help people heal from trauma? And they were like, no. <laughs> and I was like, cool. What did Mario Kart works, like, sweetie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mario just... Kart works. But God forbid we actually give people tools to heal from the shit that's happened to them. I, so, yeah. I mean, if that's... I think that's part of the problem. As yeah. as a bunch of fellow Proverbs 31 girlies in this room, <laughs> I think, yeah, we're industrious. Yeah, we figure out what needs to be done. We get it there. Um, but creating a space for people to heal from their trauma is very, especially women, is extremely dangerous to the church yeah. because when women are able to say, Oh shit, I keep being in situations where I'm being raped by someone. And I didn't think it for a long time because I didn't know. You know, I thought it was always my fault because that's what purity culture was for us is like, you are a woman, you have boobs. Therefore, a man can't be trusted around you. And you have to make sure that you keep him away by saying no, no, no. But honestly, like, Healing from trauma and women finding their own strength and their strength together, literally, it's always going to become a coven, you know, like, and it is because you realize in a lot of ways that the magic of healing, the process of letting the terrible things that have happened to you work themselves out is really you finding your own power and your own connection to whatever God godness is in us in all of us we have a lot of power i i can totally get why the church would have been not excited about that group they might not be aware of why but letting women just get together and have a chat (laughs) talk through (laughs) what's going on with them unveils the patterns of what is happening and the things that we've mentioned before already in this episode are around how the church treats its volunteers, how they don't compensate you with anything but like a good feeling for having a job to do. Like, I'm totally right there with you. Since we talk about this all the time, I also was raped right before I finally left, for real finally left the church. I had left a few times before that, also based on capitalism. Um, But but the, the last time I left, it was because instead of believing me and trusting me. I was the worship leader and the pastor was immediately like, oh no, we have to restore you to leadership. Like you can still 
you shouldn't come to church for a few weeks till we figure out what to do, yada, yada, asking me more and more details about what had happened. I'm just like, this is actually gross and I'm not interested in sharing it with you. And so I'm going to go. But yeah, I think it's I think a lot of it is because you are inherently powerful and women experiencing sexual assault is an experience of having your power taken away from you. And so to reclaim that power is very important for us, but it's also certainly something that the Christian church, evangelical church in particular, is not super keen on because honestly, if we're basing anything on what fucking Apostle Paul wrote, guys. And and when we get mentally healthy, we draw boundaries and we don't exactly we don't let people take advantage of us. And I I mean, even into adulthood and working in therapy, I've realized that being keeping myself busy, which sometimes can be volunteer work and but like it, it drew some boundaries for me. So I didn't have to. Does that make sense? Like, I think throwing yourself into volunteer work could kind of naturally in my head, it created like, okay, I don't have to deal with this thing. And I don't have to deal with this trauma. And I don't have to think about these feelings because I'm just going to throw myself into the work. Mm -hmm. And the church tells you that the work is going to heal you. And that the work is this, this is your community. This is your heart. This is what's going to get you through because you're doing the right thing. And man, it's hard to, as a 41 year old woman, it is hard to walk away from. And of course, do all of us have so much like internalized capitalism? Like it's, it's resting is not a thing that I was Mm -hmm. taught. Oh, I'm so bad at resting. I'm, I've always been a busy bee, but yeah, no, I think, I, I mean, I think that the other thing is a lot of women that have healed from sexual assault and have talked about it and gone to therapy because a lot of people, it just sits dormant for years. The trauma just sits dormant. I mean, when I did that offering talk, that was probably the first time a sexual assault had ever been mentioned at that church. And I had every fucking woman in the room like approach me afterwards and be like, oh my God, I was raped when I was 13. I was raped when I was 20. Like all these people just flooded me. And I'm a 19 year old being like, "Ah, like, okay, like I don't really know how to handle this. And I'm also four months out from my own assault, Mm. very much so not in a space to hear trauma dumping from anybody else or to be a support person for anyone else. But they had no support. And so you have these 50 year old women coming to the 19 year old being like, oh my God, like how did you heal? And it's like, ah, like I haven't, like I don't know how to do this. And you can just, it was it was very jarring to me after speaking about it publicly for the first time. Um, how many people just like flooded me? It, it was like, oh wow, this was something that like you have wanted to talk about for a long time yes. and needed an opening. You needed an opportunity to chat about it, and it's been a very like interesting thing. I I wasn't expecting sexual assault to become part of my identity the way that it did because I started talking about it so publicly so soon. I grew up as a dissociator. So I didn't really know what feelings were or how to feel them until I was 18 and was raped at 15, was raped again at 18. Basically at 18, cracked that door open of all these emotions that I had hid for, you know, 18 years. And had no control over it because I had no experience coping or communicating my feelings or learning how to process them. My emotional regulation skills were non-existent. And so I cracked that door open 
And we even, my family called it my cave. Like it had a name in my household because it was so bad. I, I would stuff my emotions so far. And when I cracked that door open in college, I couldn't shut it. And I was right, like, yeah. oh my God, oh fuck, I'm feeling everything that I haven't felt. And it was one of those things where because I'd never been taught how to feel things, I was always just taught to pray, mm -hmm. uh, accept that God had decided what the best plan was, praise him for that plan, forgive and forget. Um, there was never, I didn't know how to grieve and I didn't figure that out until I was in college. And I realized I was having really severe death anxiety about, oh my God, what if someone in my life dies? And I figured out like, oh, I never was taught how to grieve because when people die or bad things happen. You just brush over it and you say they're in a better place or God nope. figured it out. Um, I literally had a tattoo that is now covered up on my arm that the verse was like, you don't understand what's happening now, but someday you will. Um, this tattoo will be covered up soon, but it's, he makes everything beautiful and it's time. And Big I clung promises, on to this, right? Like, yeah, well, and I you just have to, to get there, life. like get to the future, get to this, get to it and that just yeah. endure it, survive it. And one day, eventually we promise <laughs> it's all yeah. going to be fine. And and the mm -hmm. thing the thing is is like I don't necessarily disagree with the idea that really awful things can be turned into something that's really beautiful. I for a while when I first left Christianity I was like nothing can be made beautiful. It was all a lie. And then I was like, okay, maybe some things can be. Maybe I need to like, once again, we are not top balance where it's very black or white. So the, the nuance of it all was not something I was well versed in. Um, but it was something where I think the, the hiccup, and this is so widespread across all of evangelicalism, is just that like, smile and wave, like, just let's get over it. And it happens with with trauma, it happens with social justice, it happens with death, it happens with pastors being called out for abuse scandals, where it's like, we're just going to forgive and forget, smile and wave, boys. I mean, you see that mirror in relationships that come out of the church, like in if you're dating someone in an evangelical space, it's a lot of just kind of like suppressing emotions until everything blows up in your face. Mm -hmm. It was how my family operated at times. And it's, it's very widespread. And I think that it's also kind of how volunteer work is. You're supposed to just kind of like suppress any negative emotions you have, any frustrations, um, any, uh, you know, anger that you're not getting thanked or paid or whatever. It's like, well, no, it's all just like everything's going to be beautiful. God damn it. <laughs> just smiling yeah. and waving. I think it's really built on just expecting people to be quiet and submissive and smile and wave and then if they if they choose not to do that, they get kicked to the curb pretty quick and you grab the next kiddo who's willing to be submissive and mm -hmm. you keep the cycle going. Yes. I mean, the messaging has always been less of me, more of him, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to shrink and become yep. smaller and become like a cog in the wheel because the wheel is important. It got, it's got to keep spinning because we got to save those souls. And I think that it's really hard to argue when you're in the thick of it. It's really hard to argue with that logic of like, because this is bigger than you. Mm -hmm. This is, it's more important than you. It is more important than whatever your energy, like saving people's souls is more important than your mental and physical health straight right. up. Like that Which, is what, what an easy cop out. Like that's such totally. an easy cop out to just automatically go, oh, well, you're tired. You're not getting paid. Well, we just save people from burning in hell. 
Yeah. So suck it up. <laughs> like yeah, it's a really exactly. easy cop out. So fuck Tina, you. Either like, you come and you put those slides up or people will be eternally damned to hell. People will die. <laughs> like, yeah. It, it's calm it's down. Intense, okay. It's a pretty intense pressure to put on a kiddo. It's, it reminds me, I had someone talk about how purity culture mirrors the mean girls thing of like, if you have sex, you will get chlamydia and you will die. <laughs> and it's like, that's very much so purity culture. But at the same time, I think the whole culture of the church is like, if you don't volunteer and put your whole pussy into this, like people will die. Like put it's so high in. stakes <laughs> and it's terrifying, especially as a kiddo. And that's why you yeah. see all of these uh teenagers come out of evangelicalism with raging anxiety and yep. like raging OCD. And it, it breeds these like really significant like mental conditions where you're you're breeding people who have really bad anxiety, really bad OCD, really bad depression, because they've had the pressure of the entire world on their shoulders for their entire lives. And that's gonna burn out anybody. And yeah. I think if if you're I think everybody is probably burnt out in evangelicalism to be totally honest. I just think some people talk about it and some people don't. Mm-hmm. Well, I think most people can't because that's a sign of weakness. And if we ever show our humanity in a religious context, that's like, ew, get your humanity out of here. That's gross. You have a Jezebel spirit. (laughs) Like, don't complain because that's coming up against the authority of the church. It's, it's, you can't win as really anyone in evangelicalism, but you especially can't win if you're a woman and especially if you're a young person who is like being forced, (laughs) emotionally forced to give so much of your time and yourself. And it's, you know, I think you're right about the, really ultimately the American church evangelicalism is very capitalistic. The tithing thing where, oh, I just need to give enough and then God will always have my back is literally the same thing as the like fucking law of attraction where like, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, spend all my money on whatever the thing is. And then I'm going to become rich because I read Napoleon Hill. Like that's the, that's really the same thing that most churches are actually saying and doing again, not in a way that benefits anyone, but the church, the institution and whoever it pays money to. That's it. So, yeah, I think um, I have long had a problem with churches automatically having a tax exemption and also still engaging in such political behavior. And, you know, and this is just one more one more example of extraction and exploitation that um, I'd like to kiss goodbye. (laughs) Hashtag one of my least favorite Josh's. Uh, Yeah. Um, Are you the new Joshua Harris? I would uh, never say that to me again, Lindsay. <laughs> oh my god! How dare you? Okay, I'm sorry. I repent of my thank you. Uh, okay, transgressions. You're, you are forgiven. Uh, I absolve you. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I will say so after that experience with the hundred dollar offering that after my six month long internship, like which which was a giant fuck you. That's what it felt like. I did not get involved in church. I still went. Like the good Christian girl that I was, uh, moved up to because I was I went to college in Southern California, moved up here for six months to do this internship, went back, graduated from college, stayed down there, worked in record labels, and I moved up here and started attending 
uh, Imago Day in Portland and I went there for like eight years and I don't think I ever volunteered there not once and it felt great like I went for a long time and and then I just didn't go anywhere for a while and now I have found myself at this little progressive Episcopal church that I really love and it's it's been really interesting when I got asked to be on the vestry so I joined the vestry first for a year which is the church Episcopal for board and then I was asked after that when the the term came up for the the senior warden, I was asked to fill her place. And I, I said no at first, actually. I was like, no, I I was like, I don't feel Episcopal enough. I haven't been going here long enough. I don't I don't. And but when the priest and I talked about it, because she's a friend of mine and I respect her a lot and respect her leadership. And she was like, look, it's just you're kind of like my right hand lady. Like you're just here to help. Like the senior warden is to help choose the direction of the church and like the things that were going and we're like kind of moving and changing and we're doing a lot of like social services and like uh, basically I want you know your type of voice input and I was like okay okay fine you convince me but my biggest fear was that like I have found a spiritual community that's really healing and has been really wonderful and like fuck I I can't let volunteering ruin this for me mm-hmm. like I was really worried of taking a leadership role and being like what if this wrecks it? What if I see the behind the scenes? And so I, thankfully I am older and through therapy, I have done a lot of work in like setting some boundaries and again, saying no when I need to. And there's certain, and because again, I'm a type A person. I want to take things on and I care deeply about the world. And I love the work that our church does with unhoused folks. But, and during the pandemic, we started a food pantry. We start, I mean, all of these things that we started and I've been involved in, but now thankfully I'm at the place where it's like, okay, we have enough people. And and let me tell you, one of the things that showed me where I was like, okay, how they prioritize. So we started a food pantry in the pandemic and the two guys who started were older and they had great ideas, but they just quickly realized like, this is like, it requires a lot of volunteer coordination and also just like literal heavy lifting of the food that gets delivered from the food bank every week. And so within, I think, two months of starting it, they were like, okay, we need like a person who is one person who's in charge, who runs this, and we need to pay them. And my husband actually got laid off in the pandemic. And so they ended up hiring him to run the food pantry because they were like, we need someone who will stay. We need someone who will not get burnt out. And it wasn't like a ton of money, but it was it was enough to make it where he did it for like two years. And now there's a new person in that role. And it's it's one of those. And it's there's not a lot of turnover. People aren't. It's just and it's it's growing more than ever. And so I think being part of a community that values like this is a thing, a program we want to put into the world. Mm-hmm. It matters a lot to us. It's growing. We are feeding our community. But like the person who's running it needs to be compensated for their time. And like, again, like now I like it's bizarre being in control of a budget for a church. Like all of these things are so weirdly, like I had to step away from church and volunteering for a really long time. But I think, again, like you were saying, it's not all bad. I'm not paid to be part of, you know, the vestry or what have you. This is a choice I am making as an adult to do this because I believe in the work and the mission that they're doing. And I want to have a voice and a say in that. But also if there's times where I'm like, I just can't today or I'm too busy. Like there's never, I've never been guilted. There's no judgment. Yeah. There's no preaching on tithing. There is no, <laughs> like it, there's, I'm very thankful for, for those. And so I guess I'm just trying to say like there is, if there's something that you want to give your heart to, like it's it's not all bad. And I think we're also <laughs> yeah. traumatized from the way that the evangelical church 
handled it. And if you, if you aren't in a place where you can do any of those things, like, yeah, please don't. Like for yeah. me right now where I'm at in my life, it's actually quite life giving. I feel like mm-hmm. I've been able to take that part of myself back because it's something like it's in my personality. I want to be a helper. I want to use my time and my energy and the resource that I have, but I can only do that if I'm in a place where I've taken care of myself first. Like you said, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I- I'm in a financial place at this point in my life. Like I can't be generous to others. Right. And right. It-, it hasn't always been that way. And I think like some of the messaging I was taught in my youth really, it took me a long, it's, t- <laughs> it's been a fun journey. <laughs> yeah. And I'll clarify too, because I think, the one thing I don't want to come off as, uh, and I've I've heard this when I've talked about it publicly, especially on TikTok, is people being like, oh, you hate volunteer work and like, rawr, and like getting really angry about it. And I, for clarification, I think volunteer work is rad. There are so many positions mm-hmm. that are both in religious organizations and not religious organizations that you they need volunteers. That's the mm-hmm. only way that it runs. And like, that's the way that so many really fantastic, fantastic, fantastic organizations function and do really great things in the world. And I think it's very common. And I think if you are, you know, consenting, if it's, if you're an adult, if it's, if it's not, and even if you are a child and you want to help out, but there are boundaries and there isn't mm-hmm. guilt. And I think the red flags would be like, if you say no and you get a really drastic reaction, probably not a safe space to volunteer. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're in a situation where there are all of these aggressively abusive tactics being used, the, what I was attempting to say earlier was more so of a, if you're an adult uh, consenting to be in a situation that's toxic and you're aware that it's not very great, but you're making that decision. I think it's a lot different than a kiddo, but I think that there are situations where it's not toxic and it's one of the reasons why anytime I talk about this shit, I'm almost exclusively talking about mega churches normally. Like they are really like the people who fuck it up pretty hard. There are some smaller churches that handle it fantastic and are really great with the way they handle volunteers and try really hard to spread it out amongst a really larger group of people. So no one's holding too much responsibility of the volunteer work. And there are ways to do it ethically, just like there are ways to do any volunteer work and a nonprofit ethically, but Mm -hmm. like it also can get abusive very quickly. And so I I think being aware of the red flags is important. And the nonprofit model is also a mess. And I think that as I've learned, you know, more about mutual aid and what that looks like, as opposed to like the standard nonprofit way, like again, American, like white capitalism is like the underlying problem in all of this. So, am I doing a good impersonation of you, Sarai? Yeah, you're nailing her. <laughs> Except for you need to be nodding more while oh, right. save yes. the Republican bullshit. Oh, right. Well. I did yeah. Republicans. You're yeah. perfect. Republicans. I'm okay. literally like just losing my I'm having a crush on you right now for saying all of these things. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, it's it's true, though, like the nonprofit model, as you know, it's like it burns people out and it makes you feel like the way you explained it earlier is like you do such a good job explaining it but you know it's people you're not allowed to volunteer for a for-profit company right that Correct. is illegal but nonprofits, there's literally as far as i know no limit on the amount of free labor that they can accept true and which is a fun time except from their employees which oh. is a whole other conversation uh and that does still happen a lot you're not allowed to do that um so if you're a nonprofit employee right now 
and somebody's like, we're having an event and it's just part of your job to show up to it, then I just will tell you, find a different line of business. <laughs> I mean, no, stay no, until not. you find something, but man, it, it, that is exploitive. It, if you're working for an organization that purports to be bringing good things to the world and yet they're willing to truly exploit the people who are there delivering those services and those messages or whatever, you are not doing good. You're not doing good to yourself. And the organizations very often are just repeating the same problems that exist in the world that they're trying to solve right back into their organizations. So it is important for us, I think, to always be aware of the places where our boundaries are getting pushed. And especially if we were raised in a way to teach us to not have boundaries of any kind. <laughs> it's called codependency, but it's also called Christianity evangelical <laughs> style. Like that's that's what it is. Oh, well, shoot. I just want to say thank you, Fina, for joining us today. Yeah. And I mean, I don't have true insight into the afterlife, but if heaven exists, the crowns on these women's heads are going to be <laughs> so full of jewels. You're next going <laughs> to so hurt in sparkly. heaven. And, <laughs> you know, and and uh, that's where we get all the thank yous, right? Is in our crowns of jewel, our jewels. Actually, gosh, no, I can't say you, words. Biblically speaking, we get to enjoy them for a second. And then we're like, oh, Jesus is here. Let's throw this on the crystal sea. And so we don't really get them. They're <sighs> that's right. Come in no, you get offering. it for a minute. You got to just wear it for a minute. We'll get the group photo and then we'll throw <laughs> them in that river. And like a minute in heaven is like a thousand years or something. <laughs> yeah, right? we'll I think that's how it works. Yeah, that's I'll get a time. good. I'll get a good selfie that I can post on my heavenly Instagram. That's right. And prove to all my bitches that I was like God's mm -hmm. number one. You if I can win. win in heaven, that would rule. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Fina. This is awesome. I really appreciate your time. And um, everybody, listen to Mindful Minds. It's a great podcast and lots of really good conversation and interesting guests. So thanks and, for doing oh, the work you do. And let people know where can they find you on the internet, where are you at? you're on TikTok, Instagram, yeah. all that fun stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on, first of all. And yeah, you can find the podcast Mindful Minds on any streaming platforms. And then you can find us on Instagram at Mindful Minds Pod and online at mindfulmindspod.com. And then we are on TikTok at Fina underscore underscore Bina, which is spelled F-I-N-A underscore underscore B-I-N-A. And that is the platform where I do like solely deconstruction content. The Instagram is a little bit of everything, but the TikTok is just deconstruction, just religious trauma, just purity culture. And it's a little bit of humor. I, someone recently told me like, oh my gosh, I love the memes that you're making. And I was like, I didn't know that's what I was classified as, but apparently it. I make memes on the internet. So <laughs> you can find that on TikTok. Uh, Meg, would you like to close us out with a word of prayer? Just kidding. <laughs> Shivers and down my spine. <laughs> no prayers. <laughs> no prayers today for that's us, amazing. but... We are holy Dad. ghosting, constantly that. holy ghosting. Thanks for joining us. And if you miss us in between shows, you can find us on socials posting almost every day at Holy Ghosting Pod, Instagram and TikTok.